Let us pray. Lord, as we come to this time, we ask that you calm our hearts, calm our spirits, that you bring quietness to our minds, that the distractions that so often pull us away from what you have to say, the things that crop up in our minds when you are trying to speak to us, we, we are aware that they can they can do a lot of harm to us. They can keep us from the truth that you have to say. And so we ask that you help us clear those away at this time, that you help us to center on the presence of your Spirit among us, and that you help us to center our thoughts and our focus on what that Spirit has to say to us today. And as your Word is read, Lord, we ask that you bless the reading of it and the hearing of it, that you open our hearts the movement and the power of your spirit so that whatever it is that you have to say to each one of us today we will be open and we will be ready to listen as you speak to our hearts Lord bless this time that we have in the presence of each other and in your presence in your holy name we pray Amen please stand if you are able for the reading of the word Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 31. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of our own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Paul, at this point, is talking to the uh, the Greeks in Athens... Uh, if you'll remember, this is, this is sort of uh, Paul's niche. This is what God has told him to do, that he is to be a missionary to the Greeks, uh, to the non-Jews. And so here Paul is 
uh, talking uh, to the Greek people at Athens, this very prominent city, this very prosperous city. And he says, you know, I, I observe that y'all are very religious people and, and that y'all uh, have great respect for the, the various deities that you worship. You have this hunger to know about uh, the spiritual things. And I even noticed that you have an altar to the unknown God. Now, of course, the Greek people, they had altars set up to, to many different gods. They, they were polytheists, so they had, you know, Zeus and, and Jupiter and, and all the different uh, gods that they worshipped there. But they had an altar reserved for the unknown god. And what Paul was saying was, I've noticed that even in all the other observations y'all make, all the other religious observances you have, there is still a place in your heart that longs to worship a god that you don't know. We are all born with that longing. We are all born with the, the innate knowledge that there is something beyond ourselves, an otherness, that is a force so much more powerful than anything we can imagine. And we long to be a part of that. We long to know more about that. We long to worship it. Even these cultures who have many gods... Even these cultures who, who have mythology and stories and all of these things that they, they think they figured out, there is still this longing in their heart to know something about the one true God, the God that they have not yet known. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes meant when he wrote that eternity is written on our hearts. It means that we all have this eternal longing, this longing to know the God from where we came. Now, every culture for thousands and thousands of years has had this longing. Even if they had never heard of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, even if they had never heard of Jesus Christ, every culture at some point has had this longing to know who God is because eternity is written on our hearts. But today, culture has changed. We live in a strange time now where all of a sudden, Many more people than ever before and an alarmingly increasing number of people are getting to the point where they don't, they don't care to know about God. They don't care to follow that longing. Or they, maybe they don't even believe. But that's, that's where we're at today. All of a sudden this longing, this eternity that's written on our hearts is being overwritten with something else. And the truth of the matter is, we are at a place where we have decided that we want to be the thing that we long for. We want to be the thing that we worship. In fact, it sort of negates the idea of an otherness, a divine otherness, that God is something else. When we ourselves are trying to play God, because we can't possibly be other. That doesn't even make sense. We can't be the something else that is greater than ourselves. But we are trying so hard in our world, in our culture today, to do so. A great example of this line of thinking is this movement that is happening called sologamy. I don't know if you've heard of the sologamists, but it is the, the craziest thing in the world. And, and it sounds funny. You're going to think maybe that I'm making this up. But this is a real thing. And every year it grows. It is people who take wedding vows to marry themselves. I'm serious. This is a thing. People have, they, invite, they send out wedding invitations. 
They'll dress up in a tuxedo or a wedding gown or whatever that is that they, they think they should wear. And they go into a, a place, sometimes even a church, and they take vows to marry themselves. That's where we are right now. We have elevated ourselves to a position where we don't care about being in relationship with anything else. We want to be in a deep relationship with ourselves. We are following ourselves. We have elevated ourselves to the, the, the point of utmost importance in our lives. You see, marriage is supposed to be, or, or the original intent anyway, was it was supposed to be reflective of our relationship with God. A commitment. Just as, as God is committed to us, as, as God is committed to his church, and we are committed to that relationship with him. But when we get to a point where we would rather just be in relationship with ourselves, that says all you need to know. Because we've gotten away from the point where eternity is written on our hearts. We've gotten away from that longing to know the divine other. We've gotten to a point where we think that we've got everything we need all on our own. This can be best summed up with a quote from a former president uh, not, not too long ago made in an address, a statement where he said, we are the ones we've been waiting for. And this is the, the prevailing thought in our culture, in our society, that we can figure it all out for ourselves. There's a story, and it's not true, obviously, but it makes you think, but there, there's a story of a scientist who has this, this conversation with God. And the scientist tells God, uh, God, we've, we've come a long way down here on earth, and we feel like we've got a lot of things figured out now. We're getting to a point where we don't really need you anymore. Thank you very much for all you've done, but we can take it from here. And God says back to the scientist, you will always need me until you get to the point where you can create life on your own. And so the scientist says, very well. And he makes it his life work to figure out how to create life. And he tries and he works and he works. And somehow he figures out through the miracles of, of, of science that he thinks he can create life. And so he goes to God and he says, all right, God, I think I figured it out. I think that I can create life just as you did. And so we don't need you anymore. And so God says, all right, I created life in the dust of the ground. I breathed life into the dust of the ground, created life. Let's see how you do it. And so trying to do the same thing as God, the scientist reaches down and picks up some dust from the ground. And then God stops him. says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've got to create your own dust. <laughs> and so the scientist, the dust falls through his fingers and he gives up right then and there. You see, there will never come a point in time where we don't need God because God is the source of all life and everything that we know. People will always need God. That is the meaning of having eternity written on our hearts. We will always have this desperate need to be connected to God. So the very first wise decision we can ever make in our lives is to pursue that. We might not know where it's going, we might not know how it will grow into something else, but we know that we need to pursue this unknown otherness, this divine otherness, the unknown God, as the Athenians called them. They had their stories, they had their myths, they had their idols, but they knew something was missing, and so they left an altar open. 
And then Paul came and he said, I've got great news for you. That God that you long to know, the unknown God, you can know him. You can know him. And not only that, but you should know him. Because he wants you to know him. And the time until now, you've lived in ignorance and you haven't known anything about him. And and that's not going to be held against you. Because it was ignorance. And, And so that's not going to be held against you. But now is the time for you to know him. And he says it's time for you to repent of your ignorance. We have to be careful with that word because a lot of times we hear repent and we think that means we're guilty, we need to confess, we need to be sorry about something. That's not what repent means. Repent means to turn. And so what Paul is saying is you've been in ignorance. It's not going to be held against you. But it's time to turn away from that ignorance. It's time to realize that that now you have a way of knowing God. So how can we know this God that our heart longs for? Well, Paul gives us the first and most obvious answer in, in what he says next. He, te- he tells us it's through Jesus Christ. He starts off by saying, through one, man we, through one man we all come, meaning Adam. And then he goes on and he says, by one man we'll be judged, and by one man's resurrection we can believe and we can come to know God. And of course, he means Jesus Christ. You see, that one man, Jesus, is the way for us to know God because that is what God, that was God's divine message to us. That was God saying, this is my word put in the flesh. If you want to know what I look like, if you want to know what my heart looks like, if you want to know what my desires are, here it is. And he gave us Jesus Christ. And the words of Jesus give us an example to follow. The life of Jesus gives us an example to follow. The teachings of Jesus guide us. But the life of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, is also the way that we overcome our sins. And the resurrection of Jesus is the way we overcome death. And all of those things, the teaching, the example, the atonement, the the conquering of death and resurrection, all of those things are important for us to know God, to know about God, to know what God's plan is for us and how he wants to work in our lives. Now, there are other ways for us to know God as well, just as Jesus was The word made flesh. We also have written word. We have word that God spoke into the hearts of the prophets and the psalmists and the poets. And he spoke through history and he spoke through the patriarchs. And we have that written down for us. And so we can know God by coming to the scriptures. You think about what the scripture is. It'll it'll blow your mind. We have a letter From the heart of God. And we take it so often for granted. They'll sit on our tables at home. Collecting dust. They'll sit on the pews of our church. Rarely be cracked. But we have. A letter. Written from God's heart. To us. And every time we open it. God can speak directly to us. God can communicate to us. Through it. And the third way that we can know God is, is much like Scripture. It's, it's prayer. It's that direct line of communication with prayer. And so often we think of prayer as, let me tell God all the things I need, all the things I'm worried about. Lord, I really need you to help me with this. But prayer is so much more than that. Just as we should come to the Scriptures with reverence, 
ready to sit in the presence of what God has to say, we should do the same with prayer. Because it's our chance not just to talk to God and pour our hearts out before Him, but our chance to sit in silence and listen. See, God is not a silent God, but sometimes we have to sit in silence to hear Him. The reason why is because our our lives get so busy, they get so noisy, and what's truly important fades into the background. God's voice will fade into the background. And our prayers become a time that we rush through, or we only say what we need to say, and then we go about our business. But you can't develop a relationship like that. Paul said, you can know this God that you long to know, that your heart longs to know. You can know Him. But guess what? You can't know Him if you don't ever spend time with God. No relationship can grow, can be strong, if you refuse to make time to speak to the person. And sometimes it's not, it's not refusal, it's not rebellion, it's just that we get busy with other things. I have a very good friend that, uh, well, years ago he was a very good friend. We were best friends. In fact, we, we lived together for a couple of years uh, as roommates. And um, I've been thinking about him a good bit the past few weeks, and I sent him a text uh, saying, hey, it's been a long time since we've talked. And I'm just thinking about you, and I'm praying for you, and I hope you're doing well. And, and I'll try to call him. He never answers the phone, but he'll respond back to a text. And he, and he texted back, I'd love to catch up. I'll call you later today. Of course, he never did. He never does. That's why I haven't talked to him in years. A few days go by, and then he sends me a text again. I'm sorry I never called you the other day. I'll call you tomorrow. He never did. And that's how things go. That's how relationships deteriorate. And, and, and we've probably all been guilty of that with people before. But that's how our relationship with God deteriorates. And that's the one relationship that we can't allow that to happen with. We tell God, okay, I'll, I'll talk to you later today when I have time. I'll meet you tomorrow. And then we fail to do so. We can't grow in our relationship with someone if we don't make time for them. And spending time in the scriptures and spending time in prayer is the way that we grow that relationship with God. A fourth way that God can be known to us is by the spirit that speaks within us. And again, we have to quiet the noise of everything else. If, we, if, we, if our minds and our judgment is clouded by all these other things, we can't hear that still small voice speaking to us from within. That still small voice can only be heard if we are tuned into it. And to be tuned into it is a deliberate act of the will. We have to listen for it. We have to actively pursue it. Scripture says, do not quench the spirit. What does that mean? It means do not smother it. Do not stomp it out. Do not suffocate it. When the Spirit is within you, when Christ is trying to speak to you from within, don't do anything to suffocate that. But yet we do. We do with our busy schedules, with all our other cares and concerns, sometimes even with good things, with hobbies, with families, with with work. We, We just allow our hearts to get so crowded that the voice of the Holy Spirit fades into the background. Sometimes we quench the Holy Spirit with our own sin, things that we have not confessed, unresolved things that are between God and us. But if we pursue God, if we long to be in relationship with Him, we will confess these things. We will carve out, not just carve out room, we will, we will make room and make it a priority 
to allow that spirit to speak to us more clearly. And then finally, the way, one way we can know God is through other people, especially other people who are close to God. You've heard the saying before, friends in high places, or it's all in who you know. I'll tell you, if you are close to people who are close to God, that's going to rub off on you. People who are close to God, can, they, they are in tune with the Holy Spirit within and what the Spirit is saying. And their words can become words of life and words of hope for us. So one way that we can know God in addition to speaking to Him directly and listening to Him, is by surrounding ourselves with other people who are in touch with God. And then that relationship grows. I've used the example before, the spokes on a wheel. You want to get closer to God who's in the center, you kind of have to get closer to each other in the process. We are very privileged to know God. We take it for granted, but we are very privileged to do so. People get all worked up and excited about celebrity sightings, seeing people that are famous. Why? Because for the brief moment that we see somebody who's a celebrity or somebody who's famous, we feel important or like we've been close to something important. But there's nothing more important than being close to the creator of the universe. The way people get worked up about celebrities, I I just don't understand sometimes. And I've I've heard stories. I've heard people bragging on celebrities they've met. And some of them are downright ridiculous. I knew a girl in high school who told me probably four or five different times about seeing the man who was on the antacid commercial on an airplane. This was a big deal to her. And she would tell me every time she'd say, you know the guy who eats the barbecue and he says it gets you right here? I saw him on an airplane. He was right behind me. It was a really special thing for her. If we can get that excited about seeing a man who was on a commercial, shouldn't we get even more excited about the fact that we can know, personally know, the God who created all of life? Talk about a celebrity sighting. We have the power, the ability, the privilege, the opportunity to know God right here, right here, in our hearts, in our prayers. One of the greatest miracles to have ever taken place was when God's Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the reason that's such a miracle is because that was God's way of saying, this is how you can know me. This is how you can follow me. This is how you can serve me and love me. And not only that, but this is how you can serve and love each other as well. For thousands of years, many nations and cultures have had eternity written on their hearts, a longing to know that unknown God, a longing to communicate with the divine other. And Jesus Christ was God's way of saying to the whole world, this is it. You can know me. You can pursue me. You can know me and know me well. The time to repent of our ignorance is now. The time to confess our busyness and let go of it is now. The time to sit in silence before Him, the time to to confess our sins before Him is now. We are blessed and privileged to be created 
by a God who loves us and a God who wants to know us and a God who wants us to know him and to know him well. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are not merely some divine watchmaker in the sky who set things in motion and then just walked away. We thank you that you breathe life into us so that we can turn our hearts and our attention towards you and know you and love you. Lord, we repent, we apologize, we confess all the times that we have ignored that opportunity. All the times that we have let our busy schedules or our our other thoughts overwhelm us and back you into some quiet corner of our hearts where your spirit is quenched and where your voice is silenced. Lord, let that not be the case for us anymore. Let this be the day that we turn our whole hearts to you, that we open our eyes, we open our ears, and we listen for the ways in which you long to speak to us so that we can know you just as you know us. We pray all these things in the holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is from the Cokesbury Hymnal. It's hymn number 231, His Eye is on the Sparrow. If you've made a decision of any type today, I invite you and encourage you to come forward and share that with us. But remember, the altar is always open. If you, if you long to spend just a few moments uh, there in prayer with God, you can do so, or you can do so right there where you are. But please stand, if you are able, and join us in singing hymn number 231 from the Cokesbury Hymnal. His eye is on the sparrow. <laughs>